Let's start with the uh, news that we broke for you here yesterday on the show, and that is the plan for the Vancouver Aquarium to shut its doors to the public effective this Monday. So the board of directors at the Vancouver Aquarium announcing that they will shut down their public programming at the aquarium effective Monday, September 7th. They don't know when they will reopen. A lot of the behind-the-scenes programs that they do there, like the Marine Mammal Rescue Program, that will continue. But the public programming shut down at the Vancouver Aquarium. Will it ever reopen again? There are a lot of people, animal rights advocates. We talked to some of them yesterday on the show. They don't want this aquarium to reopen at all to the public. Let's talk about this now, get the other side of it. My guest is Jim Fassett. He is the executive director of Canada's accredited zoos and aquariums. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Jim, thank you for coming on. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good, Jim. Thank you for doing this. Uh, can you quickly tell the listeners what is the organization that you work for there? Yeah, as you said, we are Canada's accredited zoos and aquariums. We represent 29 accredited zoos and aquariums across Canada who all essentially by being accredited, uh, accredit themselves to a higher standard of care for uh, the animals in their care. Okay, what did you think about the news yesterday that the Vancouver Aquarium would be shutting down its, uh, shutting its doors to the public next week? I think it's most unfortunate. I think the first time, Mike, that you and I, um, you interviewed me some time ago, a number of months ago now, we spoke about the economic reality uh, that this pandemic has caused onto Canada's accredited zoos and aquariums. And here we have it. Uh, we have a 64-year-old institution that is committed to the highest standard of care uh, and for their visiting public and the experience that they want to give them. But their burn rate in, at a million dollars a month just caught up to them. And unfortunately, uh, there's 209 people uh, this week that are going to lose their job permanently. Thankfully, though, there are 75 others who will be staying around and uh, taking care uh, of the animals uh, going forward. Yeah, they do a lot of great work behind the scenes at this aquarium with a lot of important scientific research and a marine mammal rescue program that's world-class. And I'm a big supporter of this this aquarium. I remember taking my kids there when they were small, and it's just been a great part of Vancouver. And I agree with you. I, I think it's a sad day when they have to announce that they're shutting their doors to the, pu- to the public. Now, they, they do say, though, that they hope it will be temporary and that they will reopen under some sort of sustainable model going forward. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but do you have any insight on, on how this aquarium could potentially reopen, or do you think that this could be, they could be shut down permanently? I, I think there's always a possibility, but that said, uh, I've gotten to know some of the senior management team there, and they're very committed to keeping the facility open. I mean, this is a pause, and they use that word very deliberately in their public statements in the news release and otherwise. Um, I think they're very committed. I think that the board is very committed uh, to reopening, to finding a new business model. I mean, it, it's, no, it's not unusual for any business uh, that has to restructure itself and respond to essentially normally market forces. But the market forces today are, are unparalleled and there's right across the board. And we're seeing that Canada's accredited, 29 accredited zoos and aquariums are being hit by it as well. Now, this is a very uh, committed group of people that run the aquarium. They have a vision. Uh, they will uh, come up with a new modern vision that takes into consideration new realities going forward 
that allows them to be flexible and um, able to sustain themselves, not, not to mention all the other good work that they do behind the scenes that you referenced. Speaking to Jim Fassett, he is with the, the group Accredited Zoos and Aquariums uh, of Canada. Have any other aquariums across the country uh, shut their doors like Vancouver is doing? Not at this time. There, there are two oh. other. There is one under construction that's been there for the last couple of years in Winnipeg. So they're not shut for that reason. The Quebec Aquarium uh, it has not uh, had to uh, face this. It's a different governance structure, though, part of a Quebec government uh, group of facilities. And Ripley's Aquarium in, in Toronto uh, has been able to, since it's opened, been able to sustain itself, albeit at a reduced uh, capacity. And, and I'm sure that they have their own financial struggle um, as well. That said, uh, at this time, Vancouver is the only one. Okay, that's a sad distinction for our city, for sure. I really feel for the people who are losing their jobs there and, and the people who are struggling to keep this institution going in our city. Um, there's been a lot of controversy around the aquarium over the years, as you're well aware, of people who are protesting a display of captive animals. Uh, there are still marine mammals that have been on display at the Vancouver Aquarium, seals and sea lions, dolphins, sea otters. Do you think that, like yesterday I spoke to an animal rights activist on the show yesterday who said this is cruel, that the animals are not happy, that this, that this should be shut down, it's obsolete, we shouldn't be putting animals on display just for public amusement. How do you respond to that? You know, they have a right to, to their perspective. Uh, the other perspective is that uh, it's very different, that in fact that the people who work with these animals love and care for them a great deal. Uh, as do the public. I mean, the public outpouring to support the Vancouver Aquarium early on during the pandemic was absolutely outstanding. So I think there's an awful lot of people that understand that the, the animals involved or that are at an aquarium or a zoo uh, really are there under the best of care. I think that people who have a perspective uh, that's different than ours are allowed to have their perspective. Uh, that said, uh, I do, do do think that they have a role in our society going forward. What do you say to the argument that, look, why do we have to have live animals on display? Why don't you have build state-of-the-art video theaters and let people experience the animals that way so they can learn more and appreciate ab about the animals? Like, What is what is it about the, the sort of special nature of seeing the animals up close in person? I, I, don't, I, I don't see it as an either-or proposition. I think yeah. if you look at the, the modern-day zoos and aquariums, both now and going forward, you're probably going to see a blending of technology with real animals. You know, there's nothing like experiencing animals and learning about them and having them really in front of you. Yeah. Life's not virtual. Life is real. Uh, we can't all uh, hide behind technology, but we can bring the two together. Are you... Are you you guys have, uh, at Canada's accredited zoos and aquariums, you have rules around the operations uh, of the zoos in order to attain the accreditation that, that you provide. Um, in your experience with the Vancouver Aquarium, what's their track record like on caring for their animals? Uh, it's, in it's impeccable. Uh, their track record is spotless. Uh, they have, uh, their former CEO, the current CEO, have always been uh, world-class uh, I know the chief operating officer there um, sits on our board, and he's always looking around the world uh, about how to do things. In fact, he's one of the most respected people in the aquarium world, probably in North America. We're, we're really quite happy to have him on our board. So. When, when, when you say it's a spotless record, though, they have had animal deaths there, right? I mean, they've had belugas die, et cetera. 
you know what? Uh, every place has death. Mm. Every zoo and aquarium has had death. It's a part of uh, nature. They don't like death any more than anyone else does. And that's just the way it is. They're very proactive about it. They do everything they can to avoid it. And when it does happen, they're very transparent and, and public about it. Yeah. Death unto itself, just focusing in on that, therefore, thou shalt not have this, I don't think is the right way to look at it. It's really, really much part of the way right. things are. If you look at the wild, death happens in the wild. We just yeah. don't see it. Jim, thank you for coming on today. We continue to follow this issue very closely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, welcome back to the show. Just checking out some of the tweets I'm getting online. I get a lot of them. I encourage you to give me a follow on Twitter, uh, at Mike Smith News on Twitter, S-M-Y-T-H, at Mike Smith News on Twitter. And I just tweeted out a moment ago, just reminding people that it's day two today of our Helijet giveaway. So this is the Great Island uh, Island Escape Contest we're running every day this week, courtesy of Helijet and uh, Fairmont Hotels. And I encourage you, if you've been following the contest, don't go anywhere because you got to know that secret code word in order to qualify for this awesome prize. And that'll be coming up soon. So keep it locked here. But first... Let's talk about ICBC. Now, have a listen to this report. This is from Global News reporter Ted Chernecki reporting on ICBC's plan to give drivers a rebate, but not until next year. Have a listen. ICBC's so-called enhanced care coverage starts May 1st. Then, with no-fault insurance, third-party liability coverage is unnecessary. But private insurance companies claim ICBC is charging you like it is. And rather than charge you for the correct amount today, ICBC is charging you as though you will be purchasing 12 months of third-party liability coverage. The Insurance Bureau of Canada is calling it a tactic. Overcharge now so they can issue a rebate later. It's taking with one hand and giving with another, uh, and it's very poor public policy. The opposition says it's another example of how ICBC is again hoarding money. Any savings this year should be returned to the people of British Columbia. They own ICBC, they should be getting the money. But to hold on to that money and then try to hire a company to mail out checks in and around a potential spring election or right before a fall election is appalling. Okay, that's uh, Liberal MLA Jazz Joe Hall at the end there is the ICBC critic uh, ripping ICBC over this plan here. ICBC saving a lot of money because of the lower accident rate in our roads and highways during the pandemic. I think you should get that rebate right away. If they're saving money, they got cash in their claw right now, they should give that money to you. That money belongs to you as a BC driver. Instead, they're going to wait until next year when no-fault auto insurance kicks in. Then they're going to give you the rebate right before the election. Come on. I, listen, I was born at night, but not last night. I know a political timetable when I see it. They want to give you a check right before an election. That's what's going on. Let's check in with Chris Sims now, the BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, who's been following this one. Chris, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having us. Okay, what do you think of this plan here? A rebate from ICBC, but not until next year. Your oh, thoughts? Well, we just completely agree with you. This is one of the oldest plays in the political playbook. Uh, yeah. what the real kicker is, it's using our own money. 
it's not even just a straight up, uh, you know, slush fund tax credit. It's directly coming from what we're paying in auto insurance to this monopoly. And then, lo and behold, getting paid back to us just before an election. It's pretty crass. And as you say, it should have been rebated right away. Other jurisdictions rebated this money savings to their drivers right away, uh, including private insurance providers and government insurance providers. Manitoba has government-forced auto insurance. They paid their customers back right away. Yeah, because I know that the, uh, the private insurance companies often make that claim that, look, we've been giving our customers rebates in other jurisdictions across Canada and across North America, but we've got public auto insurance here in British Columbia. So you're saying even provinces with government auto insurance, those people are getting rebates too. So it's yes. private and public. Yes, exactly. And how bad is that? So uh, they're absolutely right. For the private providers, they provided more uh, and they got them right away. Like my girlfriend lives out in Ontario and she honestly didn't mean to rub it in. She said, oh, I got 15% back every month, backdated three months. They just automatically deposited in my account. You should call your provider, like because we were talking about how to save money. And I laughed. I said, you've never lived in BC, have you? Um, so they're getting more back, uh, but credit where it's due, uh, the Manitoba Insurance Agency is giving their customers money back too. How much are they getting? Like, what's the typical refund? I think it's around refund? 10%, so a little yeah. bit less huh. from what I can tell from the private insurers, but they're still giving it back to them nonetheless. Okay, right now ICBC is saving money because of the lower accident rate, and then they say next year when no-fault auto insurance kicks in, they expect to save even more. So the argument from ICBC is, look, j- the plan is we wait until we get no-fault, then we give you the savings. Does that, does that make sense to you? Like, no, because it's us who are paying into the full rate right now. So as was explained in that report, we're paying the full freight right now. So we're paying for 12 months of coverage A. But very soon, they're switching over to coverage B. And for the next right. 11 months or so, we're going to be paying coverage A still. And magic, <laughs> they're going to give us that money back just before an election. Right, and this because- is what we're saying. This timing stinks. Yeah, because people will be buying third-party liability coverage on their auto insurance, and then the government is saying, well, once we move to no fault and we cut all those greedy lawyers out of the equation, then you won't need third-party liability coverage anymore because we got no fault auto insurance. So that's why we'll have all this money sitting around uh, to give you in a rebate check. But are you saying, okay, like if they're going to go to no fault, they should cut the rates now and give people a rebate now but if the savings don't kick in till next year doesn't it make sense to give you the give you the rebate next year when the savings arrive well they're already as you pointed out they're already getting savings right now because of the lack of crashes well so, yeah you know give the give us the rebate right now from the lack of crashes uh, what's really happening here and i think a lot of people don't like to point it out is that this government's trying to put out the icbc dumpster fire with yeah. the covid19 pandemic this is what they're trying to do what do, you, what do you mean by that? Because their ICBC has saved money on the lack of crashes. When we were, remember, we were all stuck at home and there was ghost towns on the roads and people were losing their jobs and couldn't get to work. ICBC as a corporation was saving money. Right. And so they're taking that money, hoarding it, and trying to put out their billion-dollar dumpster fire with that money. Okay, if ICBC was here right now, and I've had them on the show before, they would argue that, okay, we may be saving money because of a lower accident rate, we'll, we'll admit that, but as the economy reopens, people are driving more, so the accident rate's likely going up again. They also say that they've lost money on their investment portfolio, that that's gone down. Uh, they also say that a lot of people during the pandemic 
have canceled or reduced their insurance coverage, that hits. that's a revenue hit to ICBC as well, so that therefore it's not like they've got a whole pile of money sitting around to give people anyway. We're paying Your for thoughts? auto insurance. Yeah. Auto crashes have decreased. They've yeah. been saving money on that element of their income stream, period, as other auto insurance providers across Canada have been doing. They should do the same thing that other auto insurance providers across Canada have been doing and give customers a rebate. And, you know, if they were an option, if ICBC were just a box that you could tick or a menu that you could choose, uh, you know what? Power to you. If you want to choose that form of insurance, that's fine. The reason why we're kicking up a fuss about this is because it's forced. This is a government forced monopoly, and because most of us need vehicles to work and live, it's a form of taxation, which is why we keep saying, open it up to competition and at least let us make a choice. I could then choose to go with the company that gives me a rebate right now, or I could could choose to stick with collective insurance. Yeah, I think you've summed up uh, very efficiently there uh, uh, an issue that I think is going to be a major one going forward, especially as we, we get closer to an election next year. And ICBC is cutting these rebate checks for people and they want everyone to love ICBC again and, and vote NDP, I guess. But the uh, as we get closer to that election, we are we are going to be having a big debate about the future of auto auto insurance in our province. And I think it's going to be led largely by the liberals in opposition who are saying basically what you just said. Let's open up basic auto insurance to full competition with the private sector. So if you love ICBC, you're happy with the rates you're paying, you're happy with the coverage and the service you're getting, no problem. You can continue having your insurance with ICBC, but give me the option. Let me buy a a private auto insurance product if I want. Is that the position of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation? Open it up to private, uh, private sector competition? Absolutely. Uh, if you don't want to yeah. abolish it, fine. Uh, we even yeah. have a full report about this on our website of how to just change it over to a co-op, similar to a credit union that we already have here in BC. Other forms of insurance exist like this. Uh, there is a form of fire insurance that actually started in the Fraser Valley back in the early 1900s, and it's collective insurance. It works kind of like a credit union. And it's so popular now, it's still available, and people all the way out to Ontario use it for fire insurance. So that form of insurance exists. So fine, change it that way, okay, and make it so that politicians can never touch it. No government is allowed to take any okay. money out of it. It's owned by the people who use it, and then open it up to competition, the same way we have banks competing with credit unions. So if, I, if that form of insurance is so awesome and people really love it, fine, like have it compete. Let people yeah. pick it if they want to. What's the risk? What about no fault? The government has said we were moving to no fault auto insurance because we're just spending way too money, too much money on lawyers and court costs and, and trials that drag on for, for a decade to settle huge court cases. And let's cut all these lawyers out of the, out of the mix and go to a no fault auto insurance system. Where do you guys stand on that? Our concern there is that it gives government and government panels a lot of power and a lot of power over perhaps your own, God forbid, pain and suffering if you've had a bad vehicle accident. And the idea of having almost a workman's compensation board level of power over somebody else's injuries, you know, you should be able to have your day in court. You should be able to have your own lawyer represent you. You know, that's one of the fundamental freedoms here in Canada. And so from a freedom standpoint, that's very concerning. 
All right, welcome back. Uh, just a quick update for you. Uh, make sure you stick around for the top of the hour. We'll bring you that live coverage on that homelessness announcement from the BC government in the city of Vancouver. So we focused a lot on that homeless camp at Strathcona, in Strathcona Park in East Van. Over 400 tents in that park now. This is the largest homeless encampment in Canada now. And I'll be very interested to see if the government addresses that situation at the top of the hour in that news conference. Make sure you stick around for that. We'll bring you that live. And we'll also have reaction from the Strathcona neighborhood on what they think about this homelessness update and plan in the city of Vancouver. All right, let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic now, the federal government's response to it. My guest is Diane Francis, the very fine columnist at the National Post and the Financial Times, um, or Financial Post, and I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Diane, thanks for coming on. No problem. Okay, you wrote a real humdinger of a column here on, on Canada's uh, pandemic response and the cost of the programs that the government has brought out. You describe it as putting money out there with a fire hose rather than targeting spending to the people who really need it there is evidence out there that some of the money that has gone out the door through programs like CERB for example went to people that didn't really need the help is that correct yeah that's correct I mean anecdotally I think we've all heard these stories about you know kids uh, high school kids or kids that just graduated from high school never were getting 500 bucks a, a week you know to and and spend and two brothers for instance I heard about and in Muskoka, which is the cottage area, we're in an 8,000-square-foot cottage their parents owned all summer on our $500 a week each. because And they'd never worked. They never had a job. You know, they weren't even looking for work. I mean, this is crazy, and obviously wealthy parents. So I've heard these anecdotal stories, and then the Fraser Institute came up with this study, yeah. and they looked at the fact that the, the eligibility was so open-ended and so un... un um, unchecked that that you know as much as 22 billion dollars has probably could have and probably has been sent to spouses and dependent children living in families with a hundred thousand dollars a year or more income that's crazy i mean the whole idea of this now so so i looked at the study and then i said to myself well wait a minute how are we comparing with the other you know, countries that have had COVID problems and stimulus programs with a public health system as good as ours and about the same number of fatalities. And I looked at the social democracies of Italy, France, Australia, and Germany, and we're like double some of their output in terms of per, per our G- GDP. So these guys have blown out the equivalent of 15% of the GDP of this country in COVID relief, compared to Germany at 8%, or Australia at much less, or Italy at 4%, or France, how is that justifiable? And it's obviously because of what the Fraser Institute has pointed out, there was no criteria. Okay. Just handed out the money. Okay, there are some startling numbers here in these reports, for sure. I mean, if you take a look at some of the pandemic income support payments, for example, over $22 billion, that's a lot of money that is that has gone out the door. And a lot of people were, were obviously grateful for it if they had lost their jobs or they're suffering during this pandemic. There are a lot of people that were hurting as a result. But if you drill down on the eligibility around programs like the CERB, I guess you're saying, like, okay, for example... 
uh, if you've got someone who is, is the, a child or the spouse of of a breadwinner who's still working and making maybe making three fig a, a six figure salary like making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're saying that what that the kids of that person or the spouse of someone making a hundred grand a year should not have been eligible for a program like CERB? Of course not. Look, yeah. we don't have unlimited money to hand out to people, and yeah. now. What they've done was they said they were in a big, fat hurry. They had to get the money out the door because it was an emergency. Okay, fine. But they've done two extensions since. And as the Fraser Institute reported, they should have started to impose some eligibility. So now they've created a big mess, probably tons of fraud. I can only guess at how easily this was defrauded. And now they're going to have the CRA, the tax department, chase these people. And so, you know, how much is that going to cost? And are they really going to chase them? And is that going to be effective? I mean, you should have had, you should have had controls built in from the beginning. You don't run a business like this. You don't run anything like this. But that's what the liberals, you know, Justin Trudeau's trust fund government is doing. Hmm. They don't have any conception of how to make money and how to properly spend it and target it where it's needed. Nobody resents. People getting help who need it. This is nobody's fault, this pandemic. Right. But to have, you know, kids running around making this kind of money without even having to prove they had a job or lost it is, is just, uh, to me, it's reckless. Yeah, when you take a look at the expense of these programs as a percentage of the economy or the like the gross domestic product is a really i think it's a really interesting and, and a and a good indicator so as you pointed out if you take a look at what canada has handed out here in in pandemic relief 15 percent of canada's gdp and you compare that to other countries in australia it was just 10.6 percent of the gdp there in pandemic relief in france five percent germany of GDP in Italy. This is a surprising one, just 4.9% in Italy, which was kind of ground zero for the pandemic when it first began. So what did those countries do differently? Did they like means test their, their programs that, so for example, in the, in the example that you cite, if you have a spouse or parent making a six figure salary and they're still working, you would not qualify for benefits. They must've done a means test. It can't, couldn't have been as open-ended. They looked after everybody that needed looking after. I mean, these are, yeah. these are social democracies like Canada. I didn't yeah. compare it to the U.S. That's a totally different thing because a lot of their COVID stimulus was to, to provide medical care that they should have been already providing and don't. But now that's not the case in the countries that I compared to Canada. How can we possibly justify blowing this amount of money? By the way, Canada's middle class is bigger than those countries I compared and our underclass, do you want to call that low-income people, is smaller. So even less reason that this has been happening. This is reckless mismanagement. This is just not treating oh, other people's okay. money properly. Okay, speaking of Diane Francis from the Financial Post about Canada's pandemic relief programs at the federal government level, have they been too generous? Uh, should they have been means-tested when they went out the door? Over $22 billion in income support payments, for example. Um when you take a look at the government's response, though, to the pandemic overall, though, Diane, and you ask Canadians, most Canadians will give a very high grade uh, to the Trudeau government in its handling of this pandemic emergency. Like I saw one poll, it was like 80% approval for Trudeau. So I take your point that maybe the programs have been too generous, but if, if, we, if we measure it 
on the success in controlling the spread of this virus and compare that to public satisfaction with the way the government has handled it. Do you think the public is worried about the, the money that's gone out the door? They seem to be happy with the way the government's handling this. They have no idea what waste is involved here. There were overpayments of $400 million. Whoops. You know, this is a mess. They don't know how to run a pop stand. Look, the money is not insignificant. If it was ins- and, and the comparison to other countries is so embarrassing for the Trudeau government. Here's the point. There's another point I want to make. We, people have to understand, and we all understand, that the health care in this country is run by the provinces. The provinces own, run, operate, manage the health care system. All the federal government does is top up the ones that don't have enough money to match the care that the other ones got. He can't take credit for a health care system that runs run provincially, coast to coast. And by the way, did a terrific job. So if anybody deserves the 80% approval, it's the premiers of this country. It's not the prime minister. All right. Welcome back. As we continue talking about pandemic relief programs with my guest, Diane Francis from the National Post, your calls to her 604-280-9898. Ton of calls here. Let's get right to him. Mike in Victoria. Mike, hey, Mike. Mike. I, I, only, I can only stay for another five minutes. Sorry. Okay. That's all we got anyway. So that's <laughs> no oh, okay. problem. Perfect. No problem, Diane. No problem. Mike in Victoria. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for taking the call, uh, Mike and Diane. Uh, real quick, I'm on pension and have been for 13 years. I drive school bus during the year now as my sort of pension job. I go on EI every year, uh, you know, from end of June till the beginning of September, and it's, we'll call it 1450 a month. I applied for EI this year, and I got told that it would be served, and all of a sudden I'm getting 2000 a month. Um, I didn't ask for it. Um, I don't, you know, it's nice, but it's a waste. I didn't ask for it, and they're just throwing the money uh, right at you. Okay, Mike, thank you for the call. Diane, is this what you're that's, talking about? That's, I, I think that's exactly what yeah. the Fraser Institute is, is warning us about. These guys don't, didn't know what they were doing. They're blowing money out the door to get reelected if they think there's an election or whatever. And I think this is a mm. terrible thing. The other thing, too, is that I'm on a senior. I'm on the uh, old age security pension, okay? Yep. Um, I, I won't talk about my income, but it's but it's, I'm a very lucky person, okay? And everybody on old age security pension got a $300 top up. Now, yeah. there's no income cap on old age security up into $260,000 a year per couple. Yeah. So we're giving people 300 bucks, saying, you know, he's cloaking it that he's helping senior citizens that are hard pressed by COVID. Yeah. Most of these people on OAS never have gotten that top up that's that's gazillions more dollars i hear you good point ray in surrey hi ray yeah hi i'm going to take a slightly different tact i'm a business owner um i operate a network of specialty travel vaccination clinics throughout uh, bc i have 16 offices i uh, just want to point out how difficult it has been to get access to government um, programs to support businesses. I, I'm, I'm all fine for individuals getting getting financial support, but businesses have been hard hit by this. M- me in particular, uh, I had a very successful business right up until mid-March, and then the bottom dropped out. I give Our specialty is giving vaccinations for international travel. We'll be at the back of the line for getting back to normal, just like Air Canada and the, and the airlines. Um, I've been grateful. I've been able to tap into the wage subsidy program. It wasn't that easy, but, you know, I figured it out. 
Um, I'm trying to tap into the Cessra rent rebate program, and that's a dog's breakfast to uh, try to yeah. get access to. After many months of working with my landlords, I've probably got about you know three quarters of them to go along with it, but I haven't actually received much money yet out of it. And of course, that program ended yesterday. Right, and, and today and today's payday for the and today's payday for the yeah. rent for a lot of businesses too. As so that program so went down, so, Diane. So that's another example. Germany was sending checks out to help support their business employers, probably within hours of declaring it an emergency. And we've spent twice as much in in COVID relief as Germany, for goodness sakes. Because we're mm. we're squandering it. We're they're just blowing the money out the door from, Paul, for, because they don't know what they're yeah. doing. Paul in Abbotsford, hi. Hey, I just want to thank you guys for talking about this. I know guys like Pete Baldry are just looking to be a candidate for the Liberals at some point. Oh, that's but not I'm fair. talking to that's employers all the true. time who are saying they can't get their workers back to work because they're sitting at home gaming and collecting checks. Okay, Paul, this thanks for the call. That was a, that was a cheap shot at Baldry. That is not true. But let me let me put the, but I think you raise a good point though nonetheless about That's an excellent some, point. You yeah. pay a, you pay a 15-16 year old kid who was babysitting or cutting grass, you know, making 2000 a year. You pay them 500 a week and they'll never pay taxes on it. You tell me whether they're going to be looking for work or if they're even going to go back to school. So anyway, yeah. on that note, you've got four callers who've all made points that I didn't even have time to make in my article. This is going to go down in history as a gigantic boondoggle, and we should thank the Fraser Institute for doing the study. Diane, I think you, you pushed a hot button for sure. Thank you for coming on today. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.